I'm going to read through all of 13. Verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to the very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes, to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of your slumber, out of your sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. I thank you just the way you ordain and orchestrate things. I ask God that you administer to your people today through the, the power of your word, living and breathing, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Lord, minister to us now. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. I really felt an an urgency to share this passage. Um, And we'll, we'll finish 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. We'll go into that. But I felt today 13 was necessary. The reason why I'm looking at chapter 13 is um, I think this is one of the most critical elections in the history of our nation and our lifetime. And I think people are confused. I think they're very confused. I think they're confused that they think the kingdom of God is going to arrive on Air Force One. And here in California, we we just think, well, by the time it gets to us, it doesn't matter anyways. (laughs) And what is the point? And we push to get evangelicals out to elect a godly representative. Now, you've heard me say the statistics, 85 million evangelical Christians in America, 25% of them vote in a presidential election, 12.5% in a non-presidential election. If we can get evangelicals out to vote, we will, we will move this nation in a godly direction. We got 77% of, of, of the vote in South Carolina was evangelicals, and Donald Trump won overwhelmingly. I, I'm, now, if you're a Donald Trump fan, please understand, that's not my commentary. My commentary is... 
why are we all divided? We're hanging our our star on somebody we hope can turn the country. And I just want you to know something. There isn't a man or a woman who will be elected to the presidency that will change our nation. Now, they, they can have an effect. But federal elections are downstream from the source of what God intends. I love what Charles Tobey says. He says, the things that are wrong with the country today are the sum total of all the things that are wrong with us as individuals. Whoever gets elected is a reflection of what we're dealing with. I mean, think about the candidates that we have. I don't know about you, but I, I try to avoid like MMA fighting. It's, it's bloody. I found something even bloodier, the Republican debates. They're, they're, they're vicious and awful. And I haven't watched the Democrat debates. I just don't think it's a fair, an 80-year-old man and, well, I don't know. But what does this all mean? When we see in the, in the scripture, it says, let, us, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. What is at stake in 2016? Why is it that Christians are, are moving congregations to participate? What is happening? What's going on? What is our role as Christians in all of this? Now, we read this idea of submitting to government in Romans 13. I want to read to you out of 1 Timothy chapter 2. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's, it's just four verses out of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I actually read this yesterday at the men's breakfast, and I was deeply touched by what God had put on my heart. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, therefore I exhort, first of all, that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may, ready, that we may lead... Ready? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're praying for people in positions of government. We're praying for them by name for the sole purpose that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives, in all godliness and reverence. I just want to be left alone to serve the Lord. I don't want you telling me what I can and can't do. I want you, I, I want you out of my life. I, I, I don't want you regulating what you say I can and can't teach. I want limited government. I'm going to give you power to take care of national defense. I'm going to give you power to make sure the roads are nice. I don't want to give you a large portion of, of taxes as, as declared. Render therefore all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs. I, I don't want you to take it all. I only want to give you enough to get the stuff done, and I want to live a peaceable and quiet life in godliness and reverence. I want to have access to the scriptures. I want to be able to raise my kids in the love and the admonition of the Lord so they can grow up and serve. That's all I want to do. That's all I want to do. Anyone else? Amen. Okay, let's go home. Why, why is this now an issue, and why are we at this stage of losing this? And where does it come from? There are three forms of government ordained by God in the Scriptures. 
three forms of government ordained by God in the scriptures. First of all, we find in Genesis, and these are concentric circles. They're connected. You have one at the top, two at the sides, and they're, they're all connected. And the first one at the top, the very first government that God ordained in the book of Genesis is family government. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents with the promise that it'll go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. That's the order of the government of the family. It's the structure in which you teach, you teach God's word, God's principles, that you can live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and reverence, raising your children in the love and the admonition of the Lord that when they're old, they won't depart thereof. You are stewards of their lives. You, you will give an accounting to God for the children that have been entrusted to your life. You want to ex- it, put before them an example. You want to protect them. Uh, when, when we did a rite of passage for Jason Pierre on Saturday night, we got together. Maybe it was Friday night. I can't remember. We got together, and, and I, I, yeah, it, was, it was Friday night. And, and we spoke into his life. Jason, you are now going from being a boy to a man. And a man is a man who provides and protects and cares. And this is going to be your life. You're not going to have responsibility. And I, I love what, what Mike Balikian said as he, he spoke to Jason. He said, Jason, when we used to teach soccer, coach soccer, the younger the kids, we'd be out on the field with them, uh, you know, doing, moving this huddle of kids all around the field, and then we get to be out there with them. No, no, separate. And, and then when the kids got older, we, they relegated us to the sidelines to coach the kids. And then you get to a stage in your life where you're not on, on the field or on the sidelines, you're up in the stands just watching what God is doing with this next generation. And Jason, you are going to be on the field and we're going to be watching you now. You're a man. And you've been ordained with with a calling of of the primary government of which God establishes on the earth, family. Family. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This, this, This picture of mutual submission, this picture of protection over the weakest members of the family, this idea of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, husband, wife, commanded them to multiply and replenish the earth. The founding principles of all of, of government on the earth it involved the husband, a wife, children, parental responsibilities to govern the family. Listen, I have an accountability to God for my children and to lead my family. And the decisions I make as a father affect everyone that is under my care. And, and li- li- I want to define myself, so we divorced. And I get it. I know everyone in the room has been affected by divorce or has participated in a divorce. And, and it's, it's affected our community. I know everyone in here... The children have been affected by divorce. They're the victims for the most part. We haven't been able to reconcile before a throne of grace because we haven't been able to just come to a place where we submit our lives in humble submission to God Almighty and then serve one another as Christ has served us. And then this creates a protection. And and the ones that have been most affected in the room are the ones who have been children of divorce. It hurts. It hurts. The family raises the children and respectful adults who in turn would marry and create more family units of of government. Children learn how to, to, you know, boys learn how to be husbands by watching dad. 
Girls learn how to be moms and wives by watching mama. And then they create another generation and we shoot arrows into a a future we'll never see. With the children we've raised and blessed is a man whose quiver is full and those arrows are straight and true and they go into that future. And they affect that future. And if we warp them and bend them with perversion and struggle and the house is is inundated and, and God's word doesn't reign supreme and we don't bathe our wives in the water of the word and, and we spend our lives in self-indulgence, the kids are warped and bent and they don't shoot anywhere. God says, this is the primary building block of all of culture. And this is the call to the Christian and it's laid out so clearly that this is the very first form of government that we submit to. Submitting to God in reverence, mutual submission to one another. And we love on those kids and we raise them. God's word is preeminent in the home. And it deals with our relationship with one another. The second that God has ordained, first we have the family. And then God ordained in Exodus, interestingly enough, the civil government. The civil government. That's what he's given us. It's a noatic covenant. The government is to protect man. It's, it's, it's this idea that it's, it's evidenced by the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. We even read those in this picture in Romans 13, this idea of going through each of these commandments that God had listed in the, the Decalogue. And these concise commandments, you have five and five, they deal with man's relationship to God first, establishing life principles for how each individual in society should treat his fellow man. We have a responsibility. The the, the commandments are, are vertical and horizontal, how we treat one another and how we're in relationship with God. It governs civil authority. And we teach that to our children and then we apply it to our community. And so we have the family and then we have Government. And the most important government is local government. That's why when Paul commands Timothy, I exhort you to pray and make intercession for all men, kings and those who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in godliness and reverence. And I asked the men yesterday at the breakfast, I said, who is the mayor of Agora Hills? Which where we were, we were in the Agora Hills Civic Center. I said, who's the mayor? The exact same sound. I said, um, okay, Calvary Chapel, Malibu's here. Who's the, who's, who's the mayor of Malibu? Same. I was stoked when he said, who's the mayor of Thousand Oaks? He said, Joe Price. I'm like, yes. We don't, all of those issues locally that govern us are so important. And yet we know nothing about them or who, who's involved in it. We don't even know who we put forward to run for office and to represent us that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence, that our children will be protected. God ordained government. He ordained the family, then the civil government. Form the basis of laws and the Ten Commandments that we see in these, these life principles of how we interact with individuals in society, all laid out. And this is the picture of civil government, but the third form of government that God established, and we see this in Colossians 1, is ecclesiastical or church government. 
Ecclesiastes, or excuse me, Colossians 1.18, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Verse 24 says, the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Christ started the church, which exists today. We're all members of the body of Christ. He gave specific governing principles for the church. And these three God-ordained governments can be best illustrated by those circles that I just described to you. And as, as these circles are established, each government works together to create harmony through government. That's important. A government of the people, by the people, for the people, supporting each other's distinct God-ordained roles. God establishes these three forms of governing bodies. It's abundantly clear that individuals always, individuals always make up the family. And of course, these family members are going to make up the civil government, and the civil government is going to make up the church government. This church has a governing authority established by Scripture that is run by 15 men. And the Scriptures are very clear who those men are. We look for men that, that, that rule their families well, that are not given to wine, that are not money mongers. They, they go through the whole picture, and we pick them. We put them before the, the, the ruling body, and we say, you have any problem with these guys? And if they do, they don't come. And, and those individuals, the reason why we pick them is because the way they minister to their families. They're good guys. And so we've got the family government down we've got the church government down but why in the world have we abdicated our responsibility to the civil government we struggle with this but every one of them works together they must work together if christian family members don't get involved in voting or participating and running for office or civil government or attending with active involvement in ecclesiastical church affairs they're failing to meet God ordains role, or God's ordained role. You see, these men may be qualified, but all they have to say is, you know, I really don't want to do it. I'm kind of busy. <laughs> and everybody's so busy doing things that they want to do, they don't have time for anybody else. And that's why we get to a place like this. You see, somewhere along the line, we lost it. The federal elections are downstream. And you know what happens downstream. Everything you put, in the, put upstream ends up downstream. And it just stinks. And it's all downstream. Federal elections are all downstream of what's occurring right here locally. The source of things that work properly are the family, the church, and the local government. If we're not doing it here, it goes downstream and it's awful down there. It is a royal mess. And it all begins right here. You see, yesterday, the pastors, four of us spoke, and we talked about Jesus, Lord of my life, Jesus, Lord of my family, Jesus, Lord of my workplace, and then I got to speak on Jesus, Lord of community or civil government. Now, Jesus, Lord of my life, Jesus, Lord of my family, and Jesus, Lord of my workplace, if you have a lousy civil government operated by people that don't have um, a, a godly ideology and an understanding of natural law and the application of that, and we elevate the creature more than, than the creator, and we start to worship the creature more than the creator, and we allow all of our water to flow out to the Pacific Ocean to protect a non-indigenous fish, 
and, and we have 40% unemployment in the San Joaquin Valley because there's no work, and we, it's, a, it's a government-created drought where we haven't done any infrastructure for water since 1970 when there was 20 million people in California. Now we have 40 million people and we haven't done any infrastructure for water storage. The problem is, the problem is, ready? We haven't done it locally. We haven't done it locally. When God says that we are to make prayers and intercessions in these localities for people in authority, it's so that we can live, live quiet and peaceable lives in godliness and reverence. And so there's no way, it's, it's hard to have access, Jesus, Lord of my life, Jesus, Lord of my family, Jesus, Lord of my workplace, when you don't have any jobs and you don't have a job to go to. It's hard for him to be Lord of your workplace. When taxes are so overwhelming that, and, 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 and we spend more money on schools than any state in the nation and our schools are 47th and we don't have any more money to give, it's hard to raise your family. And Jesus, Lord of my life, okay, I can do that one. But my kids are subject to everything that's inundating them. They're afraid to go to the bathrooms. And Why? Because we don't do anything locally. My point is this. As I looked at Romans 13 and I saw what was happening this week and I heard people lamenting. People were lamenting over the condition of the nation. Who do I vote for, pastor? What do I do? That's downstream. Back it up. Back it up. That is a reflection, as, as Toby said, the things that are wrong with the country today are the sum total of all the things that are wrong with us as individuals. Let's back it up to right here. And this is what God gave me all along. And it just hit me yesterday. I may be slow. <laughs> he gave me Jeremiah 29 a long time ago, but it made so much sense yesterday and it does today. He showed me this. The children of Israel had been led into exile into Babylon. And they would remain there for 70 years. And, and this is where we get, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you hope and a future. It's just going to be awesome. Isn't this great? And we just love to write that on cards. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you hope and a future. It's like Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good. And you put that on a card, you're like, seeing it, move on. We love to give it, hate to receive it. But Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a great verse. But when you put it into context, it's awful. <laughs> you are going into exile for 70 years. You're going to be torn from your capital. You're going to be placed in Babylon around pagans who are going to inundate you and, and try to form and mold and shape you and convince you and, and warp your children and pull you away from God. But, God says, verse 4 of Jeremiah 29, as he's preparing them for 11, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's, it's, yeah, I've, I've allowed it. What's happening in this country isn't shocking to God. He's going, where did Donald Trump come from? How did this happen?
It's all downstream, right? So God says, look, downstream, it looks like a wreck. Who's in the governing authority? You don't recognize the government anymore? I got that. But here's what I want you to do, my children. Build houses. Dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives, beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, so they may bear sons and daughters, that you may increase there and not diminish. What's he saying? Build the government of the family. And then he says, and seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Not only the government of the family, but the civil government. I want you to get involved in everything in this city locally. And I want you to protect your families and I want you to create commerce for them. And I want it to be done in a godly manner where you dwell with each other in unity. You exemplify it by love. You establish it by civil kindness to one another. Show this community what it's like to be a Christian by loving them. Get involved in every area. Be a coach. Pour your life into this community. Plant vineyards. Give your children in marriage. Raise godly families. Forget about federal and state. You can vote when it comes, but that's downstream. Show the world what a community looks like. Take these principles and apply them, God says, while you're under captivity. None of those other things change. And that's why our founding fathers were brilliant. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Thomas Jefferson's way of saying any idiot can understand this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain what? Inalienable means you can't take them away and you can't give them away. Now, can't give them away, that's a bummer. Because that means you're responsible for them. Oh, I I don't want to vote. Too bad. You must. It's inalienable. Life, liberty, pursuit of virtue. This is your calling. This is the requirement of the body of Christ. Family, government, church. Three forms of government. Pour into the lives of people. These are inalienable rights. I looked at this. And it brought me to 2 Samuel 23 again. And this was that same picture with Shema. After him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite, the Philistine had gathered together troops in a piece of ground full of lentils, so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, killed the Philistines, so that the Lord brought about a great victory. Again, it's a whole picture where one man stands in a field that's worthless, defending against those with ideology opposite of what God wants to do. And he defends this worthless patch of ground, this bean patch, ideologically in a sense, and holds the ground. And a great victory is wrought that day for the Lord. The Lord brings about a great victory because one man is willing to stand. Stand for his family, stand for his civil government, stand for the sake of the church. Involve himself to serve and to build them up. You know, when the scripture goes through to say no one... Owe no one anything except to love one another. He who loves has fulfilled the law. 
Could you imagine how amazing our government would be if we treated each other the way we wanted to be treated? Instead of talking to each other with such caustic terms and being so critical, if we were kind to one another, if we endeavored to understand and, and step into somebody's world and to love on them, nothing can separate you. You shall be persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to lose. We have this ability to honor God and to love people. We can render, therefore, all that is due, taxes to whom taxes, custom to whom customs. And, and when the scripture says, and by the way, this is fascinating John 13 says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a corporate responsibility. It's a corporate responsibility. As it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. I have done my best when people have been offended with me to go and seek them out and sit with them. I've done my best. I haven't always succeeded, but I want the rest of the community to see that Christians are endeavoring. We're, we're working out unity. We're putting aside our petty, selfish aspects to try to work these issues out. And just laying them before God and saying, let's resolve this. And community is built on interpersonal relationships. You know, it's amazing how caustic we can be towards a federal candidate for president. We don't know anything about their life. We're not in the personal realm of it. But we can say awful things. I'm, I've, I can imagine what has been said about each of the candidates. We've talked about Donald Trump's hair and Marco Rubio's ears <laughs> and Ted Cruz's nose and Hillary's wrinkles. I, that's what I heard. I, I, on and on. I've heard everything. I've seen the most caustic. Try doing that locally with the person you're going to church with. We're community. Try doing it in your family. Try treating somebody like that in your family and see how long your family's going to survive. This is the accountability God gives to us as humans. Family, civil government, civil meaning kind, orderly, thoughtful, right? And then the church. And these pictures that God gives us, we have a corporate responsibility to love one another. We have a corporate responsibility to love one another. I, I'll close with this last idea That when the founding fathers wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? But when you get to Romans 13, and it says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, right? So all authority is from God. 
So what authority has he established? What authority has he established? He's, a, he's, a, he's, he's established the family. That's the primary governing authority. <clears throat> then the civil authority. Church authority. Now, if any authority tries to usurp the inalienable rights endowed by our Creator for the protection of the church authority and the family authority, that's contrary to God's law. So we create a civil authority that recognizes natural law and inalienable rights. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. You can't, they can't take them away from you and you can't give them away. You're responsible. Now with those inalienable rights, who is now an authority? The preamble to the Constitution. We the people. So when you read Romans 13 in accordance with the government God has given us, we the people, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Who is the governing authority? We the people. And don't screw with us. Don't, don't overtax us. Don't mess with us. We're going to give you some of this authority that we possess on loan. But we are the governing authorities. It is a representative form of government. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. We the people. For there is no authority except from God, and God has given us inalienable rights, and he's established those inalienable rights to be protected through the family, through the government, and through the church. That we honor one another by honoring God. And those authorities exist, are appointed by God, we the people. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. You try to mess with God's inalienable rights, And I have to tell you something. I can't let you take those because it's impossible. And secondly, I'm not authorized to give them away. So I'm going to have to stand and defend them. And I guess we're going to have two opposing views. And there might be a conflict here. How do we establish that locally? We must be engaged. We must be engaged. You see, we have abdicated our responsibility to the third form of government God ordained, civil government. And we're watching as it's all flown downstream and we're lamenting the condition of our nation when we've rejected affecting our community. Do you know that every Tuesday at the council meetings, that you have three minutes to address the council and educate them on anything you desire. We had a man come this last week and educate the council on abortion. We had a woman come and educate us on, on why would we raise taxes, in, at this, the sales tax in the city, when in my home, family government, in my home, If we don't have enough money, we cut our spending. (laughs) And it would seem fit that that would apply to the civil government. Right? But the civil government won't listen unless those who are in authority will dictate that. 
And guess what? Your kids aren't going to obey you unless you apply that authority. And the government is just like a spoiled kid. We got you a pension and a new car and we want you to stay. Oh yeah, yeah, you got more. (laughs) These are principles that must be applied locally. Engage. Step into the areas where you can have the greatest influence locally. And watch what God does. I close with this last thought. Calvary chapels, I've said this and you have to hear it. They started in 1966, right? Chuck Smith. We had the fifth greatest economy on the face of the earth here in California where where Calvary Chapel started. GDP, gross domestic production. Greater than than every nation in the world save but for five if California were a country. We had the fifth greatest GDP. Amazing. The 1040 window where 95% of the Muslim world exists, Muslim countries... They didn't even equal, a billion people don't even equal half of the GDP of California. Productive state. Fifth greatest in the nation. We had no divorce to speak of. Really no abortion to speak of. It was, it was, they, called it, they called it the state of the future. NASA and the Air Force and everybody wanted to build here. They wanted to set up here. We had the space industry out there in the Mojave. Amazing place. Calvary chapels come in. We set up, Chuck begins to preach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, establishing family authority, establishing church authority, ah, kind of vacating the civil authority because we're just not really into politics, man. And so what happens? We experienced 10,000% growth since 1966. 50 years preaching the gospel. 10,000% growth, 1,600 churches around the world now. Four of the 10 largest churches in America are Calvary Chapels, Harvest Crusades. Amazing, yeah? Most of those churches, those Calvary Chapels, are right here in California. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And, and we teach the Bible, don't we? I mean, we understand. Wives, submit to your uh, husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loves your church. Children, obey your parents. We've gone through, we do women's seminars, and we do men's seminars, and we do couples seminars, and we do parenting seminars. We do them all. And we have been, we've, we've been strongly educated. We have, we have Bible studies. We have women's Bible studies. We have men's Bible studies. We've got all kinds of Bible studies. And in addition, if Calvary Chapel was on, we got the CBS Bible studies, community Bible studies. We, we've got all kinds of Bible studies. And while we've been doing Bible studies, and the churches have been growing, and we've been having kids, what has occurred by, by abdicating our responsibility to that third form of government that God ordained? Well, in the 50 years while we've been growing with our knowledge, We've gone from being the fifth greatest nation on the face of the earth to being the eighth. We lead the country in debt. Our debt is so high in California that you take the next four or five states combined and it doesn't equal the debt of California. Our energy prices are 48% higher than Colorado's. You go, so what? Colorado's the next highest in the country. And we're 48% higher than they are. We have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax, and the highest debt. 
And you know why? Because we let them do it. And we have ruined our farming industry. We've taken away their water. We've kicked our logistics industry out. There's no longer a middle class in California. There's the exceptionally wealthy and there's the impoverished. 25% of California is under the poverty level. One out of every two illegal immigrants in the United States are in California. We spend more money than any state in the union on education, and our schools are 47th. Thank God for Mississippi. (laughs) We lead the country in abortion. We're the authors of transgender bathroom bills. Nobody showed up at the school board meetings. And we proved in 2014 that one church can make a difference. 2016, let's prove that the body of Christ, as we apply the three circles of government, can lovingly have an effect on our local bean patch. Because that's our mandate. Do not look at me and tell me, according to Scripture, that you don't have a responsibility. It's inalienable. You can't give them back. You're accountable. And so am I. This is our calling. It is our responsibility. And we must engage in the community. I want it so that every Tuesday at the council meeting, we're learning something special. I want to see somebody who who has put their heart into kindness and love to come forward and speak to the council and educate them tenderly on areas that will move them. I want them to see what Christians are like. They're not caustic. They're not mean. They're not abusive. They're insightful. They're thoughtful. They're tender. I want want that to be reflected in the school board and supervisory meetings. I want to see it at the PTA. I want to see it at the soccer club meetings and and the football boosters and the little leagues. I want them to to see what it's like to be a godly coach and a mentor where you don't fire a baseball coach because you're you're not getting enough major league scouts out. You You have a baseball coach because of the way that he raises men to honor their their community and to be faithful and honest. We, we set the ethos. Do you want it? No, it's about winning. It's about winning. That's downstream. We're watching that in the presidential deal. Here, we raise godly men and women in every vestige of culture because we're involved. And how will they know unless we speak and participate? Okay, four sections. Where are you engaged in the community affecting the community for Christ? What are you doing right now? How are you having that effect in the ethos of the community? What are you doing? Okay? And you look at me like, don't look at me, and I get it. (laughs) What are you doing with your lives, with these inalienable rights of what God has entrusted in the three forms of government, pouring into the lives of this community, these young people, everything that is necessary to establish these principles in our community. What are you doing? 
What are we doing? You already heard it, didn't you? Oh, and you guys are saying I'm not rough enough on them? (laughs) Seriously. What is it going to take? There's a little league program out there that needs you. There's a soccer club, a reading club, a speech and debate club. There's a council meeting you can attend, a school board meeting you can attend. There's, there's principals and teachers that need assistance. What are you doing? And finally, what are you doing? Step into it. Be a part of it. Engage the community. We can make a difference right here. That's Romans 13. We the people, we have that authority and we're commanded to exercise it. So, quit lamenting about the federal elections. That's downstream. Really, it's downstream. Let's start changing the source so that clean water starts flowing. And if everybody starts doing this and communities start participating, I got, a, I got news for you. Downstream, it's going to be a good place to drink. But right now, it is toxic. Let's change the source right here. Everything happens locally. That's what affects nationally. And, and this is doable. 1,000 foster kids in Ventura County. LA County has 20,000. We have 1,000. And if you get to the age of 18 and you're not adopted in the foster care program by the age of 18, you lose out on a four-year scholarship paid for by the state. And you know what they do with you at 18 if you haven't had a home that'll adopt you? They just boot you. 18, you're out. Hey, Lord bless you. No, 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 they don't say that word. Hey, good luck. You know how many we have? We have 12 in the county. One church can fix that right now. A thousand kids in the foster program, if all of us decided that we had room in our home and room in our heart and we went through foster education, do you realize that there's a thousand churches in Ventura County? In one year, that problem would be gone. gone and do you think that the county would step back and go we're not really interested in the church speaking into the county's politics ah like in ventura they'll go do you have any more people that can help us thank you for helping us we are blown away by the body of christ and the way they've applied themselves let's do it Let's change our bean patch right here. Quit laying up worrying all night long about the sewage at the end of the line. Let's put a filter on right here and change this bean patch. Let's create a clean spring. Right? We good with that? Then I'll, I'll be quiet and we'll pray.